welcome to episode 66 of Friends of Film, a podcast for public movies and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. On this episode, we are talking about a Call of Duty Cinematic Universe, Stallone's role in Guardians 2, Leia appearing in episode 9, and more all for review Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends of Film. Josh? The first week of April, Cooper, is going to be my favorite week of the year. Okay. At least the coming years. Why is that? Because it seems to be the week that every Star Wars film is getting released onto DVD. Basically, yeah. And this week we got Rogue One, and I am so stoked it's finally in my hands. And you watched it uh, six times, seven times? I've watched it twice so far. Okay, wow. Once getting it, and then once with the family. Uh-huh. Love it. I mean... It's be- it's almost better now that I don't have to be critical of it. Does <laughs> that make sense? You're gonna be a fan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I get it. Welcome to the pod, everybody. What's up with you? I mean, I got to Rogue One this week. How about you? I uh, didn't get to much outside of our three movies we're going to be reviewing for our retro review. The first one we've done in a very long time, first of the year. Um, but the two movies I did watch were Fast Five Ooh. and Fast and Furious Six, uh, because. Furious or the fate of the Furious comes out next week, and that's what we'll be reviewing. So I wanted to catch up a little bit on the franchise, uh, since I don't remember all that much about it. Yeah, uh, especially six. Like before watching it, I was asking Colin, like, "What happens in this movie?" And he was like, "I, I don't really know." I'm like, "Yeah, me neither." It's so, just like a hunt down of with Dwayne Johnson going after Vin Diesel, right? Uh, that's five. Six is like Luke Evans is in there, and he's trying to like make this super missile or something and I, it is so forgettable that i already forgot and i watched okay. it last night um yeah i think i feel like that's one of the worst parts of the franchise actually is the sixth movie because it's just so boring and there's stuff in there where like they just went like fast five there's still moments where you're like okay this is impossible but they're mm-hmm. still grounding it in a reality somewhat six there's like through all that out the window we're like nope we're just going to be so over the top and insane. We're going to have people jumping over highways and have all these contradictions and logic and physics and stuff that it's just, yeah, it was a uh, chore to get through. Yeah. That's that where one. they introduced like heavy artillery, isn't it? The tank and everything. Yeah. The tank was in there. Yeah. Luke Evans drove this like basically like a go-kart, like super armored and like he could flip cars over like driving underneath them. <laughs> oh, and yeah, it's uh. It's not a good movie. That's Statham's brother in the universe, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because then Statham shows up at the very end, kills Han, and uh, yeah, it's just or maybe uh, not. Yeah, I mean, there's I, there's, there's rumor of, of all that jazz that he could come back somehow, and then they'll bring out Gadot back, and uh, then they'll have just everybody. There are no rules anymore. That is true. <laughs> they even said they could even maybe go to space if they had the if they have a reason good enough. So. Oh, whatever um, but the other thing I watched this week I binge watched all three seasons of Silicon Valley and you loved it loved it so much so good it is so, it is so good is uh, that humor right up your alley yeah like it's so dry like wit and just like sarcasm like, I love sarcasm especially in humor and they use it so well TJ Miller is great in it and so are all of the other guys um, I'm blanking on his name right now but the one uh, is actually in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, so I'm interested to see... Martin Starr. Yeah, Martin yeah. Starr. Yeah, he's in there. So I'm interested to see what he's going to do there. But, like, yeah, that whole cast is great. Uh, 
I am pumped. Season four starts in like two or three weeks. Yep, along with so Z as well. So I uh, I can't wait to start watching that on a weekly yeah. basis. It's, I'm so glad Zach Woods um, from The Office. Mm-hmm. You know, he floated yeah. he floated into Veep for a little bit, but then he finally found his series in Silicon Valley. Absolutely love it. The thing that. is, he is basically like exactly the same as Gabe. Like they are very yeah. similar like characters, mm-hmm. and like uh, so it may be difficult to like separate the two, but at the same time, that's a perfect of what he is like he nails that type of character just being like super close wants to be all buddy buddy just like super like high maintenance and everything like he does that really well yeah i agree so did you watch anything else this week or besides rogue one we talked about it last week yes so that set the fire off in my head that i needed to see one of stephen king's most famous novels ever Uh that have been made into a movie and that's the shining yeah so I finally watched it. Didn't realize it was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And it was a very good movie. Yeah. Uh, one thing that just stands out to me, because I don't know how they did movies in the 80s. Uh-huh. I mean, was that still the hand crank Super 8 film? No. No, oh, I don't think, I don't so. think so. Okay, whatever. But anyway, the kid on the the tricycle. Yeah. It's a steady cam shot of him going around the entire hallway. Uh-huh. And it doesn't seem like there are any cuts whatsoever. No, I don't think there are. And I'm amazed at how they pulled that off. And yeah. I want to know. I'm going to Google that later because <laughs> that's just such a great shot. But it really does does a good job, you know, keeping you, you know, you feel so uneasy the entire mm-hmm. movie, especially when the the chef starts talking about The Shining. And I'm like, wait, what's going on yeah. here? And then it just all goes downhill from mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, fantastic. Even though uh, Stephen King, like, hates that movie. Really? <laughs> yeah, he just, he's, like, not a fan of the way Kubrick, like, reinterpreted his book and everything. Yeah. Well, I liked it. Yeah, so did I. I think a lot of people like it except for Stephen King, and maybe that's just because he's too close to source material. Sure. So, uh, you can't please everybody. Um, but before we get to our reviews of the entire Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, we are going to talk about some news that came out this week. If you want to skip straight uh, to those reviews, there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode, but we're going to start with the flyby and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who previously played, uh, Mr. Freeze and Batman and Robin told Fandango this week that he'd be open to play another Batman villain. Ooh. Yeah, I think so. I like it. Sure. Why not? Harvey Dent, maybe. Uh no. Razal Ghoul. I don't know about that one either. Falcone. I don't know who he could be, but if like there was a rumor a while ago that like Jeff Johns and Patty Jenkins followed Schwarzenegger on Twitter, so it's like, oh, is he gonna be in Wonder Woman? I thought he'd be a great like voice or bigger like portrayal of Ares or whatever in that yeah. movie. I don't know if that's the case and he's just like kinda teasing, Oh, maybe I'll get back in the villainy roles, but I mean, if you can get him in a role that works, sure. Like, but like, don't make him like be a super old Bane or, like, uh, uh, like I don't know. I don't. I like that thing. I don't know what villain he could be, but if you find one that works, uh, and it's Matt Reeves who wants to cast him, then I will trust Matt Reeves. Yeah, same here. So, uh, something else we got news of this week is more Transformers movies because Michael Bay is talking to MTV at CinemaCon. Uh, a week ago, and he said that Paramount has 14 ideas currently for different Transformers movies. That includes direct sequels to the mainline uh, franchise. That includes uh, spinoffs, who knows what else. And one in particular, he wants to direct, even though he said for the third time that 
this current movie is his last one. What in the world? Like, this is so dangerously close to the Back to the Future Jaws 19 joke that... Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. I don't know how you get 14 more movies out of Transformers without some serious spinoffage. Yeah. Well, like, that's the thing. Like, you have to think... Like, but we know Bumblebee's getting a spinoff. Like, does, are, does that is one of those fourteen ideas the Bumblebee movie, or is that fourteen ideas past the already announced Bumblebee and Transformers six and seven? Yeah. Like, if it's including those, then yeah, we'll hit you know twenty one or twenty two Transformers movies. Like, if they do all 14 of these ideas, which is just absolutely insane, but, I mean, if they keep making a billion dollars, uh, they're oh. going to make 14 more, and I'm sure Michael Bay will be back for at least one of them. Yeah, I mean, maybe if this ends up subsidizing, you know, some other films along the way for Paramount, right? Is that yeah. What this is that? Then, you know, I guess I guess that's good, but, man, that, that's insane. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a big load to, like, get people... Like try to hook people on before they go see a fifth movie. And said, "Hey, well, we have fourteen more if you're interested." Yeah. I'm I'm not ready for that just Ridiculous. yet. Ridiculous. Um, something I am ready for is the Dune reboot, going to be directed by Denny Villeneuve. And Variety reported this week that Eric Roth has uh, agreed to write. Uh, his former credits include Forrest Gump and uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, seems like a great. He's a great writer. Put him with a great director and a very intriguing. Uh, mythology sounds sounds good yeah he's also uh his executive produced house of cards episodes oh, too okay i don't know what that means right but i would imagine since he's an academy award winning writer he's contributed some probably but yeah uh i'm so happy to see dune is actually like it's happening yeah with i mean but with dennis just being on fire lately mm-hmm. i think it would be hard to imagine it not going forward right i feel like because he's not, I mean, he, Blade uh, Runner 24-9 is already wrapped. I don't think he's currently working on anything right now. Because uh, he's not going back for uh, the Sicario sequel. So I feel like Dune should be his next project on the way it's kind of tracking right now. So uh, we could have some Dune casting by the end of the year. Script's done by the time Blade Runner's finished up editing. Oh, for sure. And there we go. Awesome. Then you just got to do press for Blade Runner, and uh, then it's all Dune. So... Uh, hopefully he gets back to some original stuff as well, but I'm excited for his version of Dune. Uh, and I'm also more excited for The Mummy now, Tom Cruise's uh, first movie in the Universal Monster-verse, whatever you want to call it. Universal Monsters, I think, their official name of the yeah, <laughs> uh, the universe. A little, it's funny. a little on the nose, yes. Um, but we have our second trailer for it. And more uh, excited? Yeah, I think, it looks, I think it looks really good. It looks less... I mean, there's definitely still all those action elements, but it looks like a more, you know, the, 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 the catchphrase of all movies now is dark and gritty, but like it looks like more like a grittier version of what than I expected. It looks kind of scary in points, like Sofia Batella popping up out of the water and he thought like canoe or something. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is, that is never a good sign and that would freak me out if that happened. Uh, and it had a great song choice as well, so... I thought the trailer was great. Yeah, I mean, it start, kicked off with like this really Tom Cruise Mission Impossible. Theory, oh yeah, even though I've never seen it. Uh, <laughs> that's action. what it, that's what they're like. Okay, just without Jake Johnson. Got gotcha. yeah, yeah. Jake Johnson popped yeah. up in there, but he sounded like he was possessed, saying, "Dude, you're never gonna be able to get out of yeah. here. She's gonna find you." And I was like, "Aw, I was hoping." I mean, 
I was hoping he would, you know, not I hope, be I, creepy. Right. I hope he's like around for a while because he's one of my favorite parts of Jurassic World. Oh, and I love yeah. New Girl, so. Oh, totally. So sad that it might not. It has be to come renewed. back. Please come back. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, the I'm the jury's still out for me on this, but I did like that it felt like Underworld at mm-hmm. times too. He, uh, not Hugh Jackman. Russell, Russell Crowe Crow. <laughs> is thank you. Russell Crowe is like this, the head of some kind of like Van Helsing like order. Yeah. There was people with bows and arrows and things like, or crossbows mm-hmm. shooting down or shooting at Sophie Batella, the mummy. And I was like, okay, I, I could get behind this kind of thing, especially if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I still know how I feel about, you know, Tom Cruise surviving that plane crash. Because he's been chosen by evil, right? As like a sacrifice, or I don't get what's don't going know. on there. But I can't get over his scream. Oh yeah! It's, Did it's, you do you remember when they released that edit? The the um, unofficial, the yeah. Oh yeah, gosh! I watched that thing so many times. And now every time I see that trailer, that's all I hear. Yeah. Even though you hear the plane crash, and I just hear Tom Cruise scream, mm-hmm. and it's so weird because I don't think I've ever heard him scream before. But then this trailer, he's screaming again as like a, in a different shot of the plane falling. And I'm like, this is just, yeah, it sounds weird. It was so Tom f- Cruise should not be screaming. Yeah, <laughs> when that unedited his screen thing came out, I just laughed at it for days. But I am interested still. Mm-hmm. So that's all you can ask for. Universal monster universe, universal monsters. Yes, universals. I'm monsters. sure they'll make a new name. Yeah, eventually. That's, that's really dumb. Because, yeah, it needs to be something better. But uh, speaking of cinematic universes, we're getting one more in the uh, state of Call of Duty, according to the Activision Blizzard Studios co-presidents Stacy Scher and Nick Van Dyke. They told The Guardian this week that they are still planning on making a Call of Duty cinematic universe and are taking cues from the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. They want to include Easter eggs that kind of connect all these movies together in some sort of way. I'm not a big player of Call of Duty, so I don't know all the storylines or if there's even a storyline that could possibly connect all these movies together, but in an age of a plethora of cinematic universes, I think a war one could work because um, I think they could just differentiate themselves every single movie. You can do World War One, World War Two, Vietnam. Uh, you can make up wars. You can go to the future and do like uh, advanced warfare stuff. You could, I think... One of the things I'd be most interested in them seeing is uh, adapting their zombie game mode into a full game. And it's just a survival movie set in like a house or like some like abandoned warehouse something. It's just two people and they have to survive and go from room to room to room killing flocks of zombies. I almost unironically said, yeah, make it a character drama. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Then I realized, wait, no, we're not talking about the same thing here. Yeah. But... This could be interesting. I'm like, I'm a huge Call of Duty player, mm-hmm. and I don't do multiplayer. I just buy the things to play the campaigns. Okay, because I always find them interesting yeah. or fun. And Black Ops makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like they should start there. It's the Cold War. Yeah. It could be really cool to play with the JFK assassination or just Vietnam in general mm-hmm. and all the elements behind that. Because there was some cra- that was a crazy time in yeah. history that I cannot fathom you know people teaching us to duck and cover just in case of a nuclear strike or whatever the case is um but i noticed like you said those easter eggs if they sort of just picked someone's story that could you know fit into the 60s you know 
modern 2000s, the age of terrorism, and mm-hmm. then get into like high tech cyber warfare or yeah. whatever that would entail. I think that could be cool, but I just don't want it to be like this shooter. I don't want it to be senseless. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I want there to be some some substance, some substance, some critical looks at each era, and I know that's asking a lot. <laughs> you know, for them to be saving private ryan-esque you know in their right. interpretation of events and i i know that won't happen but if it did i would be so on board uh with this entire project yeah i did uh initially when i first saw this i kind of i rolled my eyes even though i am like i, I can get behind the idea of a call of duty cinematic universe because it is different from everything else we're seeing right now but in my mind, we have like 11 cinematic universes at this point announced. We have obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe started it all. We got DC. We have X-Men. Star Wars is basically a cinematic universe because they're now doing spinoffs and everything. Uh, Fast and Furious might as well be one because they're thinking of doing like a Hobbs spinoff movie and who knows what else. Uh, Transformers, again, doing spinoffs. The Monsterverse, like the Godzilla, King Kong stuff. Then the Universal Monsters. Uh, Fantastic Beasts is are like Harry Potter. Like if you combine all that together, yeah. that's a cinematic universe. Of course. Lego wants to make a cinematic universe. Uh, and then Cloverfield is a cinematic universe as well because, I mean, it, it's loosely tied, but, I mean, it's all under the same umbrella. So if you look at Cloverfield as a brand, I don't think they connect as well, but it's still like it's that brand recognition of, okay, I know what I'm getting when I go see a Cloverfield movie type sure. of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't need all these. Like, I would rather Call of Duty just made one great game or like one great movie, mm-hmm. and then they had plans to see where it could go, but they just launch with one movie to start and then see where it can go from there. Yeah, and I think their best bet would be taking a look at drone warfare, modern warfare, like mm-hmm. maybe taking leaping ten years from where we are now and right. looking at you know what it means to be. And I'm, this is being really imagined up here, <laughs> but what it means to have a drone army or, you uh-huh. know, mech units that, right. you know, don't have a person uh, making judgment calls and mm-hmm. things like that. Because I think that's super interesting. Yeah. And I'm really disappointed that Michael Bay seems to be talking about more Transformers because there was talk, I think we mentioned last year, that he was looking at a movie about drone warfare. I don't and I that. thought that could be really interesting yeah, if someone would be. take on that idea. But again, that's more Academy Award type stuff than it would right, be. Right, than mega franchises exactly. and stuff. So uh, who knows when uh, none of these movies, I think they said they're like, they have scripts, uh, drafts of scripts ready, and they're kind of, they're in the research phase talking to, you know, people that have been involved in war and everything and making sure they make it as realistic as possible. So I think they can start finding directors and stuff soon. They said that if all things go according to plan, the first movie could launch as soon as next year. So uh, if everything goes smoothly, we could start getting those announcements uh, throughout this year. So something else to keep our eye on. Uh, And we also have a new update on the DC Extended Universe. This one coming with Steppenwolf's role in uh, Justice League. Siren Hines, who's been cast to play Steppenwolf in a motion capture capacity, told The Independent this week that his version of Steppenwolf is, quote, old, tired, still trying to get out of his own enslavement to Darkseid, but he has to keep on this line to try and take over worlds. Which um, I thought was pretty interesting. I'm not familiar with Steppenwolf at all. But well, he's basically the general to Darkseid's army. Right. Uh, and he is also his uncle. Like, Steppenwolf is the uncle to Darkseid, so 
even though he is a he- on top of him in the family chain, he's below him in the hierarchy of Apocalypse. Uh, but I think it's the, interesting the way he phrased it that yes. he is enslaved to Dark Side, meaning, like I interpreted that as saying, I am not necessarily on board for everything Dark Side is doing. Like he just looks at it as, okay, if I do this, then maybe I'll, I can have my own free will back and stop being a general and stuff. So could that create new motives for Steppenwolf in the movie where he's like, you know, this just isn't worth it for me anymore. Right. Like, you know, uh, I'm tired of this crap. Right. Exactly. Like, could he like even possibly even like turn on drugs? I have no idea, but like, I think it's very interesting. Cause in one of the, in the newest trailer, the shot of like, it looks like there's that huge battle on earth and like mm-hmm. the Amazonians are there and you can, you can tell there's parademons as well that is thought to be like the opening of the movie where it's the initial battle for earth and the control of the three mother boxes. If Steppenwolf was involved in that first battle, you know, thousands of years ago, potentially like if he's coming back now, he can't really fail and expect to make it out alive. Whether he you know, makes it out alive against the justice league or if he tries to go back to dark sands, like, Oh, I failed. Yeah. He's probably not making it out either way. So yeah. I, I, I like this interpretation they're doing with really. Him. And it's crazy because like when we got our teaser look at him in the deleted scene mm-hmm. in BVS, I was like, this thing doesn't look human. Yeah. It looks like a total alien. So I'm going to be kind of shocked to see that they're kind of humanizing, mm-hmm. uh, Steppenwolf. So that would, that'll be the most interesting part for me is how does this, the Syrian Hines motion capture work and what it's like to finally have an alien that doesn't look kind of playful, mm-hmm. like more Star Wars-esque, you know, kind of how you deal with um, other species there. So this is interesting. And I thought it was, it's curious that they would let him kind of spill that. Right. So, so I mean, yeah, who knows how, you know, maybe that's not completely accurate and he just like kind of loosely is using the word enslavement, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's a pretty strong you know, statement to make that you're enslaved to somebody. So I think it can make a very interesting dynamic when like the power struggle for apocalypse and everything for the first time and about a DC movie, I'm more than curious about a character. Yeah. So yeah, wow. I, even though I'm still, I don't know what this final battle is going to be between them. There's some like Lego sets from Wonder Woman that leaked this week that I'm not totally on board for it. But anyways, uh, moving on to uh, star Wars. Ooh, hey. We have a update on, uh, the future of Leia. It's been a back and forth subject ever since the passing of Carrie Fisher on what is Disney and Lucasfilm going to do with Leia after episode eight. We know she already wrapped and she was supposed to have a big role in episode nine. There were reports that they were going to try to CG her like they did with Leia in the end of Rogue One or with Tarkin. And then Bob Iger said they're definitely not doing that. And now Todd Fisher, Carrie Fisher's brother, told New York Daily News that he and Carrie's daughter, Billy Lord, have granted Disney and Lucasfilm permission to use recent footage of her in episode nine. So what do you think of all this? Um, my initial reaction is they're going to use her as a force ghost mm-hmm. or some kind of some or unless I mean, there's plenty of editing techniques out there yeah. to pro- maybe turn her recent footage into a new shot mm-hmm. or something or put her in somewhere familiar. Yeah. Um, but if a CGI recreation is out of bounds, then the only thing they could do would just be to adapt what she's done before mm-hmm. into, you know, something like, like a force ghost. But that's the only thing I can think of 
because Colin Trevorrow announced this week, or someone announced this week, that the script for yeah, it was, it was Trevorrow. Yeah, yeah, they have they have a draft ready. So uh, if that's in that draft, I got to imagine they're not they're not going forward with CGI. Yeah, they're, I I mean I've ever since I've said they once they said that they're not doing CGI, I believe them because. Once you say that, if you turn on your word, like, nope, we're actually going to CG Carrie Fisher in, that just, that doesn't sit well with me. It's and more controversial than right. just not ever making that promise. Exactly. Like, if you are if you were thinking of doing it, don't make that comment. Uh, but if you're definitely going to say, I'm definitely not doing this, then you definitely can't do it. So, I think what they could do, because obviously, if they're just using recent footage or, like, stuff from episode 8 that's on the cutting room floor or something, you can't fill out her entire role for a nine but you could maybe workshop a couple of scenes at the beginning of the movie that send off the plot of episode nine that kind of pushes what Leia initially is going to be a part of but instead she passes on her what her role was going to be to Luke or to somebody else maybe it's Lord Dern's character or something I don't know like I feel like it's just gonna rework the beginning of the movie and they'll send off everybody else on their own separate mission, and then Leia will be left back in some other spaceship, or she'll, that's how it will start, and she'll be on a spaceship, and she'll be, uh, you know, trying to talk to them over, like, a comm link or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they could, I mean, we've, they've obviously don't have problems messing with audio, like we right. saw in episode seven. So they could very easily take some old footage of her, and then just craft her into a hologram, yeah. even, mm-hmm. and have her uh, her words, you know, place through there for scenes and things right. like that. Especially if you do a hologram wise, then it makes it easier to you could like you could still basically digitally recreate her to have her like face and her mouth match the words she's saying, but you can use cuts of different lines of dialogue to splice together sentences that you want. So instead of trying to like splice together different shots and cuts of her saying different things than like each separate word or something. Yeah. And it was the Todd Fisher, uh, her brother, you know, this is the line he gave to, I believe the New York, New York daily news. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the only part in the equation, but I think people deserve to have her. Uh, she's owned by them. And then he says, you, he had total faith that the filmmakers would do quote, great things. Mm -hmm. And that quote, you don't mess with this legacy. It would be like rewriting the Bible. To me, Star Wars is the holy grail of storytelling, and Lauren, you can't mess with it. Yeah. So it almost sounds like they had their ideas mm-hmm. in place, all set. Yeah. And he wants to make sure that okay. Carrie's passing can won't mess with that. Right. And even though I think that's dumb, like you know, <laughs> to say that because obviously Carrie Fisher's more right. She's more than, than just a character of Leia. Uh, it was interesting. So it looks like. We're not gonna get a you know a huge hammer cut down on right you know Leia's role in the entire franchise. Yeah, so maybe I mean I think it's interesting timing that this comes out the week before Celebration. I feel like now this will probably be a bigger talking point at Celebration, whether it's in the panel or if it's at the Carrie Fisher tribute panel. Um, I feel like they'll talk about and mention how they're planning to use her. Like they can't go into plot details like, okay, this episode nine is going to open and carry like Leia's yeah. going to do this and this and like right. they'll spoil the end of episode eight, but they have to kind of allude to what they're planning to, unless they're just going to wait until the end of the last Jedi to make all that stuff kind of known and everything. So yeah. I would imagine it could be a 
episode nine Comic Con type deal. But yeah, you, I mean, you never know. I mean, they're they don't have celebration next year. Uh, I don't think D twenty three is next year either. So it'll be just be Comic Con, and if episode nine comes out in May of twenty nineteen instead of uh, winter, if they follows the Han Solo release date path, then it'll only have next year's Comic-Con to promote that kind of stuff. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what uh, actually develops with this story. But speaking of celebration next week, uh, the big stuff is happening Thursday and Friday. So as of when you guys are hearing this, you're only a couple of days away from the 40th anniversary panel and then the Last Jedi panel, which is where we expect to get a trailer and some other big announcements. So we thought we would take a couple minutes here and just kind of speculate on what we think can come. And we'll hopefully be talking about next week so uh what are the things you are hoping uh, get announced at star wars celebration i, th- I think we're gonna get the trailer obviously mm-hmm. and then we're gonna get either the obi-wan movie or the bounty hunters film because both seem highly probable mm-hmm. uh, and we know bounty hunters was farther along right but obi-wan seems to have more momentum mm-hmm. and i would not be shocked to hear or see ian mcgregor show up have them play a best of Obi-Wan scenes from uh, the prequel trilogy and then have them announce and he'll be back to reprise his role as Obi-Wan set in between three and four. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what we'll get. Yeah, I mean, he's already confirmed to be going to Celebration to be at the 40th anniversary panel, but so is Hayden Christensen, so you never know what that could mean. Right. Uh, I do agree. I mean, I think everybody agrees that we're definitely getting the Last Jedi trailer on Friday morning i think the panel starts at 11 or 11 30 so by one o'clock that trailer should be online and we'll all have watched it a thousand times by the time we record the podcast next saturday uh so i think we'll definitely be getting that i think if we're getting an anthology movie announced it's going to be obi-wan because you mcgregor is already going to be there uh like you said it feels that one has more momentum so you can bring mcgregor out even if you don't have a director already you can announce that it's happening. McGregor's on board to do this single film. And you guys can say that, you know, here's a concept logo. We're in the uh, current process of finding a director. Here's who's writing the script or whatever. And uh, we're looking for this to be our 20, our film to come out in 2020. Uh, get everybody hyped. Uh, and then the other thing I think we could get is our first look at Alden Ehrenreich as on Solo. And hopefully Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian. Right. I think if they're, that's the thing, because they're currently shooting Han Solo. So they're not going to release like a trailer or anything, obviously. No, or and, it does, it, a real. and it doesn't come out till May of next year. So they have plenty of time to promote it. But if I feel like it'd be weird not to make any sort of announcements about Han Solo. And since we already know the whole cast, uh, unless they're going to announce roles for everybody, which would be surprising to me, I think that'd be a great sign if Harrison Ford is there. And Alden Ehrenreich is there potentially, and then you show, you know, the first look of Alden Ehrenreich in the Han Solo costume. If it's just him, or if it's you know, you get to see Lando as well, or you get to see what you know, uh, Phoebe Waller Bridges' female droid's gonna look like. Like, I feel like there's some like smaller announcements that you can make that are still gonna be pretty big in the scale of you know, Star Wars stuff. Yeah, because we got our Rogue One photo of the cast almost before we saw episode seven correct yeah because it was it was still i think that photo might have been released actually while it was still in production yeah 
So I would I, w- I would not be shocked to see them go ahead and drop a photo uh, somewhere similar where it's the ensemble, something akin to what we saw with them all on the bridge of the Falcon. Just um, do the same pose, but with costumes. <laughs> yeah, or I mean, it wouldn't have to be that. They right. could just be you know in a cargo bay too, yeah. or something like that. But at the minimum, I think it would be awesome to see Harrison Ford there. You know pass the torch officially yeah. to Alden Einreich as, as Solo mm-hmm. and then we finally see him in the classic getup, yeah or whatever he'll be wearing for the film or it'd be great if like they don't announce because Alden Ehrenreich I don't think anybody from Han Solo's announced to be going to Celebration but the a lot of people believe Harrison Ford will be there for the 40th and because of the Carrie Fisher panel so if at the 40th anniversary panel on Thursday Harrison Ford's talking and then, you know, Kathleen Kennedy's mentioning that they have, you know, the Han Solo movie coming out and then Harrison grabs the mic and he's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just really happy that they're doing this and I want to bring somebody out on the stage and they, he brings out Alden Ehrenreich and he's in the full getup. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty awesome. I mean, I have a hard time believing Harrison would participate in uh, MCL really? style. Oh yeah. I mean, you saw... You've seen him in panels before, right? Yeah, but like he's, I don't know. He doesn't look like he's. I mean, he looks like he's having fun, or he's. Enjoying he seemed himself. to enjoy the everything that happened with Star Wars Seven because he knew he was he was getting a forty million dollar payday. Well, right, <laughs> but I don't know. I f- like I feel like he'd have good times with it, and like he obviously met all the like for lunch or brunch or whatever yeah, that one photo that was. Photo so was fantastic. I feel like even if he doesn't want to do it, Lucasfilm and everybody would be like, listen. You may not be on board with this film or whatever, but it would be great and mean a lot for the fans if the original Her- the original Han Solo like welcomed in and kind of gave his approval of the new guy. Yeah. So just I just, just couldn't just, see him saying, Hey y'all, this is what's up. It would be more yeah. like, Hey, since you're here, how about and then they pull it Right, out. yeah. So okay. uh that's what we can possibly get from Star Celebration next week. We'll obviously be talking about whatever uh, drops news-wise for uh, Star Wars movies next week. Uh, but we are going to talk about a couple of Marvel things real quick before we get to our view. Uh, and this one may be a potential spoiler for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So if you want, don't want to know who Sylvester Stallone is most likely playing in the movie, skip ahead a couple of minutes. Uh, we're going to do some Spider-Man Homecoming set visit stuff. But if you're still with us... Uh, is apparently been revealed who Sylvester Stallone will be playing in Volume Two, thanks to Movie Book IT on Twitter. They showed a press release uh, in Italian for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two that has Stallone listed as playing Stakar, um, which uh, MCU Exchange then previously to this release came out did this whole speculation article about what they thought his role could be. Uh, based on a passage from the junior novel of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which referenced Alita, uh, and they name-dropped Ogard, which has led to the conclusion that Stallone is most likely playing Stakar Ogard, a.k.a. Starhawk, who is an original member of the Guardians of the Galaxy team that had Yondu and uh, Charlie27, uh, a bunch of other weird people you guys never heard of, most likely. Um... That's who it's now believed that Stone's going to be playing. He is a le- he's uh, referenced as a legend amongst the Ravagers in the junior novel, uh, and he's the one that kind of banishes Yondu from being part of the Ravagers. So, uh, pretty interesting role, I think. Which would explain why he shows up with the guard the, with the the other Guardians. Then, yeah, if Yondu gets you know kicked out, and that would explain maybe who's chasing them and why we have that whole faction of ravagers just kind of mm-hmm. getting their butts kicked by rocket and right. all those people in the trailers. 
it's Starhawk sounds like an awesome name, and of course you have to have Stallone as a legend. Oh yeah, in whatever capacity he's in. I don't know anything else about him other than that, though. So, yeah, I don't. Cool. I don't know much about Starhawk. I just know he is in the comics. He is while well, he's part of the original Guardians team. He is originally from like the 31st century or something. And ironically enough, he is actually the son of a character named Kismet, a.k.a. Her, which is also the character that uh, Elizabeth Debicki is playing in the movie. So I doubt they're going to do that kind of switcheroo where he's from the future and he's come back in time to be be like ahead amongst the Ravagers as teaming up with his young mother. I feel yeah. like that I feel like that's too much hmm. lore to play with and that get too confusing especially when you have to deal with Kurt Russell being a talking planet that can have human children. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like that's just a lot of stuff to get through in a single movie. But it would be interesting to see them, you know, have weird family ties yeah. all around the movie. So yeah. I mean, I want to put it past <laughs> James Gunn, I guess, but uh I like this because it is a original member of the Guardians team it allows Stallone to be kind of this big figure that could potentially always come back uh, in future movies like Gunn has said. So uh, if this is the case, which I am pretty sure it is now based on all this evidence, uh, I like I like this. I don't like it as much as him possibly being like a Nova Corps member or something, but it's still pretty cool. I dig it. So uh, we'll have to wait and see if we get any shots of him and, you know, the rest of the TV spots that come out in the next four weeks before the movie comes out. But uh, we have some news from Spider-Man Homecoming. The set visit embargo dropped this week, um, which is perfect timing since we're doing a retro review of all of the original Spider-Man movies. But we have a couple of talking points just want to get through real quick. Uh, first one, these are all coming from Screen Rant, who is one of the many outlets that visited the set of Spider-Man Homecoming last August in Atlanta at Pinewood Studios. Uh, and when they talked to Tom Holland, he said he wants to... Uh, quote kick the crap out of uh, venom one day that would be fantastic because yeah. I, I want that too yeah so do i uh and i think that hopefully means that this venom movie that's been rumored for a while is not happening but this was take this interview happened like almost a year ago so the venom movie wasn't even announced but if tom holland wants it give it to tom holland and uh, don't make that Venom movie. Yeah, I mean, but this is the whole write-up was here by Rob Keys mm-hmm. um, from Screen Rant, and he mentions part of it that I almost freaked me out. It was that Tom Holland finishes his his Sony obligations, or Sony finishes their Spider-Man obligations to Marvel after Infinity Wars, right? Uh, after the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel that comes out in 2019, that's the last one currently that is still announced to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Got it. But initially, this deal was just for Civil War and Homecoming. So they've already unofficially re-upped that deal to include Infinity War, possibly the fourth Avengers movie, and now the uh, sequel to Homecoming. made me panic because he dropped this idea or this suggestion that they could fold Spider-Man into the emerging mm-hmm. Sony Spider-Verse or whatever they'll yeah. go on to call it. That gives us 12 if you know if that happens. Uh-huh. Um, and I panicked because then I was like, oh no, oh no, Sony just totally used Marvel to their own advantage mm-hmm. and now they're pairing up to square off against Venom in their own film. Venom versus Spider-Man. Dawn of whatever. Anyway. Dawn of the uh, symbiote. Yeah, th- it, that's, it scared me. 
I hope that's not the case. I hope that they find a way to get Venom. Yeah, I mean, technically, that is all possible because even though Spider-Man is not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Sony still owns his theatrical rights. That's why Spider-Man: Homecoming is a Sony distributed movie. Marvel is helped uh, produce that, but it's still Sony's property. They still have final creative say on the project and the character. I think they would still be foolish to push Marvel Studios aside after Spider-Man Company probably makes a billion dollars or close to it at the box office. But, I mean, yeah, they still have, like, he is still technically their character, so they can literally do whatever they want with him. Whether or not that's in their best interest then becomes the question. <laughs> yeah, the past would beg to differ. Yes. Uh, the other uh, piece that was kind of interesting to me was producer Eric Carroll said that uh, he was asked whether or not you know Luke Cage and Daredevil and the rest of the Defenders on Netflix are referenced in this movie. And he said, while it's not happening in this movie, it is a car that he wants to see played in a future movie. So it seems more optimistic that even though it's probably unlikely that Charlie Cox's Daredevil is going to appear in Homecoming 2, maybe we could at least get a reference to the Heroes of Hell's Kitchen or something. Yeah, definitely. Especially because the Daredevil-Spider-Man relationship in comics and you know in the mm-hmm. animated series all the time is pretty close yeah so i think if any one of them has to pop up it needs to be uh daredevil for right. sure i mean plus like you know he is spider-man's a new york hero you can only have so many new york heroes before somebody's gonna find out about the defenders that are working 12 blocks away from them or whatever right. like yeah you can't have Doctor Strange and Iron Man and Spider-Man all working within a like two block radius of each other mm-hmm. and then have the defenders like a couple miles down the road but sh- we're not going to we're not going to mention like right. the the fact that ninjas invaded and killed a bunch of people in a hospital mm-hmm. like no we're not going right. to mention that Thor can pop up to see Doctor Strange but no 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 yeah, Spider-Man yeah, exactly. has to just stay over there so uh the other interesting thing we got this week uh from those set of visits was uh the confirmation on how big Tony Stark's role is based on all the trailers. People were like, oh, this is basically Iron Man 4. He is in it so much. You know, he's going to probably overshadow Spider-Man. Well, turns out he actually has five or six scenes. So we've seen Four most of, of those already in the trailers. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that concern is very valid anymore. Yeah. the one And I never had it. One at Stark Tower, one in the car, one at the ferry, and then the shot of them swinging through the city together. Yeah, I mean, and then, like, if you, there's, like, the shot of, from the new trailer where he, Tony is stepping out of that suit to talk to Peter. It looks like it happens immediately after Mm -hmm. uh, the ferry incident. Can you count those as two separate scenes? Is that all part of one scene? Like, depending on how much you want to split these things up, five or six scenes is really not a lot. So, yeah, any concerns anybody might have had that this is going to be too Iron Man-centric, I think that's just a marketing thing because people they want people to know this is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Iron Man is here. You're, everybody's like basically favorite hero. He is in this movie. He's going to get a lot of ticket sales because of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's smart from a marketing perspective. Maybe you can make the argument that it, you know, it is mis-selling the movie because people may think that Iron Man's going to have a heavy role in it. But I feel like he's going to be in it for a large part, at, or not a large part, but he's going to be in it mainly at the beginning, and then the last part, he's not going to be in it I that mean, much. He's the, he's the Uncle Ben of the movie. Right. So he, he's going to show up, he's going to say some words of wisdom, and then 
he won't be there mm-hmm. while Spider-Man kicks butt and does everything else. So I don't think it's misleading at all. No. Uh, the other thing that we want to touch on is Amy Pascal said that they are intentionally not going to reuse characters that uh, they have continued to use in the previous Spider-Man franchises. So the likes of Harry or Norman Osborn or J. Jonah Jameson and others, they're going to intentionally stay clear of because they don't want to just retread the same waters over and over and over again, uh, which I like because from what I've seen from the trailers, I like this interpretation of Vulture and Michael Keaton's performance as it. So these new takes, like people always say Spider-Man has a huge rogues gallery that can rival Batman as you know being the best in comics. Yeah. And if that's the case, then don't just keep you know using these same five villains over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. I'm still hoping for a Mysterio to pop up because mm-hmm. I think he's just the craziest of all of them. So. It'll happen eventually. Yeah, but this is great. Yeah, uh, which maybe it was interesting because if they're not reusing the same characters over and over again, I don't think there's no reports of Gwen Stacy being in here. I mean, obviously you have, you know, uh, Marissa, you have Aunt May in here, obviously, because you have to have Aunt May to have a Peter Parker and stuff, but... It seems like a lot of these characters are new, so could this maybe mean that MJ or that Zendaya is not MJ? Possibly. I I don't know enough about the new Spider-Man stuff to mm-hmm. be able to speak on that because his live the his love interest in this movie, Liz Allen. Yeah, Liz Allen. I'm not familiar with her at all. She's. I mean, she's pretty minor. She's like I think in like the original Ditko Spider-Man stuff from like the '60s, late '60s. She's like his first crush, but that's all before she he even meets MJ. So if they're just kind of playing with that idea, then I think it makes sense to not include MJ until a second or third movie. And if totally. that's the case, I they've keep they just keep saying that Zendaya is playing Michelle. She, it's not a code name. She is Michelle, and I think that could very well be the case. Yeah, same here. I'm glad that they're going that route with just with not only. MJ and Stacy, but just everybody, especially, you know, keeping Jameson out of the mix for a while because, you know, that offers me just a little, a little bit of hope, hope that JK <laughs> um, has some time in four or five years to come back yeah. and finish out a role that he is going to be like, he's going to remembered, be remembered for forever. Yep. And he is part of the Sam Raimi Spider Man trilogy, one of the uh, first big superhero franchises to hit cinemas. And uh, we're going to do a retro review of all three of the movies. So we'll do it as a movie-by-movie movie basis. Uh, totally spoiler-heavy. We're not going to hold back on movies that are that started back in the early 2000s. So uh, the first Spider-Man movie, what do you think of it? It's very good. Yeah. Um, I think someone who flies under the radar in this movie. I mean, obviously, you have Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben. And he basically mainstreamed with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it was around a ton before that, before uh-huh. he uttered those words to Tobey Maguire in the, in the taxi or in the car. Um, but it, it's a clean story. It it wastes no time getting to the origin and, you know, by the next day, he's already Spider-Man yep. or close to Spider-Man. And I will never for the life of me forget him jumping from building to building to building. <laughs> He's just screaming. Yeah, and then ultimately swinging right into the billboard. I I laugh at it every single time um, and has not changed uh, to today. Uh, and then also some things that I picked up. Elizabeth Banks in here as Ben yeah. Brandt. I never thought about that. And then Bruce Campbell 
mm-hmm. as the ringside announcer. He's in all three movies. He's he's in all three. Uh huh. I missed him in two and three. He's in two. He is uh, the uh, belt, the snobby. Uh, what's his title? He's like the guard at the play at MJ's play. Okay, that, like, won't let him in. And he's yeah. like, you need to tie your shoe and straighten up sh- your tie and everything. That's him. And then the third one, he is the uh, hostess at the Italian restaurant or the French restaurant. When he's proposing. Yeah. Oh, I totally missed that. I, I almost didn't recognize him in the third one. But yeah, it's uh, it's super interesting. Yeah, he plays he, three different roles, oh, but well, he's he, great in all three of them. Okay, yeah. But just especially as the ring announcer, I, I, l- I just love that part. Um, and I mean, that's about all I really have. William Defoe is the villain um green goblin mm-hmm. he's good i think he's underrated in the role but oh yeah i think he's great i think he does a good job portraying how creepy and mad i think the green goblin should be mm-hmm. but this is just like a quintessential comic book movie before anyone was worried about series yeah like it just every part of it feels like i picked up a graphic novel or a book and i'm reading about you know uh, the golden age of marvel comics mm-hmm. and that's where I would leave it. And do we give in ticket stubs to these? Yeah, we can do ticket stubs. All right. Well, I would give this a four out of five ticket stubs. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that ticket stub rating. Four ticket stubs out of five. Uh, I mean, to start from the top, Tobey Maguire, great Peter Parker. I think he's a better Peter Parker than he is a Spider-Man um, because he just pulls off, you know, that innocent, like kind of just good guy that Peter Parker is. Yeah. And especially in this movie, he is just pure good throughout the entirety of this film. And him as Peter Parker, he just makes that work really well. Um, Willem Dafoe, I love him as Green Goblin because he is so creepy and just insane that I love the way, like one of my favorite parts of the movie is when like he first discovers that he is now Green Goblin basically and it's that it's the mirror scene oh, yes. where he's switching back and forth between like personalities and he does it so effortlessly that it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um James Franco, I really like him as Harry Osborne throughout the entire thing. Uh the whole entire trilogy. I don't think his char- his character is an interesting you can uh debate whether or not he's used properly throughout the whole thing, but Franco I like because he is he can play so many different types of roles. He can play the best friend really well. He can play, you know, the the now evil best friend. He mm-hmm. can play, you know, the head of a billion dollar corporation and he can play the traumatized, you know, you stole my dad from me type of guy. Um, Kirsten Dunst, I think, is good as MJ. I don't love her as MJ, um, but that's okay. And J. John Jameson, J.K. Simmons, I mean, I mean, what else is there to say? Yeah. He is he is J. Jonah Jameson and forever and always will be. Uh, and like you said, Elizabeth Banks, great to see her in there. Uh, I think she's in all three movies. She's in all three, uh, yeah. And it's still hilarious that Joe Manganiello is in the movie. We talked about this Flash before, Thompson. didn't yeah. we? Yeah, because I, I caught it this time. Uh-huh. I'm like, wait, I think I only caught this because you said it. Yeah. Uh, prior I, think he's, to... I think he's at the end of the third one as well in the, in the funeral, but I can't I can't tell. I don't think he's credited either because they're they were supposedly teeing up the return of the symbiote. Yeah, for the ill-fated fourth and fifth films. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, that like it's so funny. Even though all the high school stuff, even though it's like the first twenty, thirty minutes in the movie is when he's in high school. Twenty, yeah. None of those people can pass for eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> like Joe Manganiello definitely cannot pass as eighteen, and 
like everybody in that high school looks like they're in their late 20s oh and, easily and i think they all are yep. <laughs> so that's i mean it's reasonable why that's the case um couple of things real quick uh it is surprisingly violent like the, the all the battles between green goblin and spider-man like their suits are ripping apart especially the final battle mm-hmm. when you know Harry or not harry norman dies like i don't think you can get away with that in a modern like pg-13 movie like mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's it's especially violent. There's blood coming out of his mouth and everything. Like, I don't know if you could do that now. Uh, I think I think because today things are so much cleaner. Uh huh. Because this Spider-Man was technically quote unquote grounded, right? That it f- just feels that way. Yeah. When the glider go- go- like goes crashing into mm-hmm. his abdomen, you're like, oh. I, I feel that. Yeah. But it's because the glider is a physical prop mm-hmm. and everything it's else not is... C- nothing is CG, yeah. Yeah, I which, think that's why it feels so so rough. Right, which is nothing I loved about this movie is just like watching it again. It's like everything in this is practical. Like there's not a lot of CG. I mean, like the Spidey swinging stuff is, mm-hmm. but even when like the shot of when Mary Jane is saved at the big parade thing, when she's like swinging on Spider-Man, that's a Spider-Man like standy statue. Like it's not even like a person in a suit. Like if you watch it, he doesn't move at all. Huh. And like, he is so stiff that like it is like, I'm pretty sure they've confirmed that it is just like, it's like a model, like yeah. a, like a dummy or something. Um, oh, that's crazy. It's super funny. But like the, the, the fire uh, fight, like that, none of that fire CG, like that is all real stuff. And like all those fights just, are top notch because they are just using practical effects. Uh, that's what you had to do then to make it look good. But I mean, just hats off to them for starting it off so strong within those fight scenes where yeah. I think they could still contend. Like they can't contend with it, like a civil war or something where it's just so big and massive that everything is happening in every single direction, but yeah. just a single contained fight. Like those are like top notch. Um, so I'm going to give it four ticket stubs as well. Awesome. Um, and before I leave off here, okay. I do have my J. J. quote of okay. the film, and it's when he's talking about how Spider-Man saved the people at the parade, and he's like, you can't say he attacked those people. That's lying, or that's slander. And then yeah. J.K.'s like, I resent that. Slander spoken. Yeah. <laughs> Print is liable, <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. Um, he, is, he is fantastic. Yes. Uh, Spider-Man 2, uh, I think. Same feelings? A lot of the same feelings, yeah. I think the VFX, that's one where it gets less practical. I think the suit looks 10 times better. Just the physical suit that he's wearing, it's, it looks like, you know, they put an extra, like, you know, million dollars in the suit or something. Uh, I like the introduction and uh, bringing in the tenant and his daughter. I think I think they're just super funny. Like, anytime they're like, he's always calling for rent. Uh, that girl's really sweet to Peter. And like she has a really nice like kind of just like subtle role throughout the last two movies, even though she's not in it a lot. Uh, obviously, the big thing here, uh, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Holy smokes! So good. Uh, I mean, he's just in, he's just incredible. He has a great arc. Uh, I don't have much else to say on this really. Um, I love that the way that it shows it shows that balance and that struggle of. How do I be a good student and a good Peter, but also be Spider-Man? Well, then he eventually gives up the suit. Uh, I don't love that he has to go through the whole, oh, I lost my powers thing. What's what's going on yeah, with that? Yeah, Spider-Man That's, no more plot. Eh, 
I don't love that. So that's really that's that's really my only big criticism of the movie is that. Uh, so I'm gonna give it four and a half ticket stubs. Oh, okay, yeah, I I gave it five out of five because okay. I think Doctor Octavius, even though they really deviated from the original guy, mm-hmm. they created probably the second or not first best Marvel villain to date. Oh yeah, in the entire, I mean, from then to now, the only person with the exception would be looking at um, Sir Alec, not Alec Guinness, but. Uh, uh, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen's as uh, Magneto. Magneto yeah. I think he's a lot. He's really dynamic too. But yeah, uh, Octavius so good. Starts off, you know, wide-eyed, bright, and looking to change the world. And mm-hmm. then that one event, losing his wife, and then moving from there to just wanting to do it to prove that he can. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, was really awesome. Um, now, I do agree with you that maybe I could have done without the losing the powers type deal, the Spider-Man mm-hmm. No More plot, but you, Peter Parker dealing with only um, his girlfriend or trying to get a girlfriend mm-hmm. and his job and school wouldn't have made for a lot of like... It, it helped him try to decide what he was trying to do. Right. So I, I thought it was integral, but it does make it slow. And it feels like a really sad Tobey Maguire rom-com almost, uh-huh. or just like a really sad um, romance movie. So I was like, okay, I, I could do without this. But um, again, Aunt May played by uh, Rosemary, Rosemary Harris. Harris is just so good, mm-hmm. especially with the scene where he tells her, about um about that uh, is about his feelings for MJ yeah and all that yeah. and then uh, he also confesses that he didn't go to the he didn't go to the library that day right or is that the next um, am I confusing the next film no yeah that is because that's after his uh, his birthday party yeah yeah and it just uh, she's so underrated in this and I can't express that enough um I was uh, it was great to see Asif Manvi the mm-hmm. lead of Joe's Pizza. He's a comedian from The Daily Show, or um, he's all over HBO right now, writing and pitching ideas for them. And he's terrific in that. Um, always late, and you know, I can't believe I never caught that before. Uh, terrific. And you mentioned like the 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 tenant and his wife Ursula. I think is the girl's name. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with I'm who not. I'm not sure. Her. Um, but anyway, the whole movie feels like New York. Oh yeah. And that that's why I think I like it so much is that it is grounded and it just feels like a New York drama type deal mm-hmm. too. And I, I think that's such a great uh, thing to have in there. But at the end of the day, I would give it five ticket stubs. Yeah, I agree that. I think this is probably the one that he does, Raimi does the best job of making the New York culture like really yes. like prevalent in the movie and that, you know, you see that near the end of the movie where all the New Yorkers are kind of standing up for Spidey. You kind of see that beginning of the admiration that, you know, just goes tenfold into the in Spider-Man 3 where they're giving him, you know, parades and everything. Then there's like worshiping Spider-Man. That's all kind of started here. Where they start embracing him and they're like, he is our hero. He is our guy. Um, the, one, <laughs> the one scene I, I always laugh at in this movie is the... Uh, the slap 
between Harry and uh, Peter. Oh yeah, at the bomb because it's just like so <laughs> just so like out of the blue, like random almost. Where I'm mm-hmm. just like that is just so weird. Yeah, and then the fact that like literally every person in the ball is just like stopped and looking at them, like have this like discussion like they're not even like really yelling that loud yeah like music stops everything and then like you just slaps peter i'm like why yeah it's it's so like it's the one other problem i would have with this is james franco i think he's overacting oh yeah with 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 all of it with his dad and even more so when we get to this third one here i think he tries too hard to be like willem dafoe in the first movie where he tries to be equally, you know, be a madman, but also be that charming business guy and stuff where yeah. like his like Nobel prize auto Nobel and like all this stuff. Like, but like he does have good moments too. Like when he rips off the mask and finds out it's Peter, like, yeah, that's good. That's a great moment as well. It's so just the, I, he, he's not playing grief. Well, and yeah, at le- he just, least, he just plays mad. Yes. And he's good at that mm-hmm. for sure. I don't mind the, Nobel Prize stuff because I think that's, I think it's funny, yeah, yeah. I that's who I picture Harry Osborn mm-hmm. being through this entire time. Yeah, like he's so determined for success, mm-hmm. and in, it's just that that entire first uh, Sun core explosion or whatever it was such a really great mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man moment. Um, but my favorite quote from JJ is the exchange between him and Betty. And she's like, your boss is on the line and she says she's lost the checkbook. And then he comes back <laughs> over with, thanks for telling me the great news. <laughs> and the, their back and forth is just so yeah, funny. Especially because the third one's when he has that really like, like really loud buzzer on yep. his desk. Yeah. yeah. It's a great moment. And that's what I've got down here for that. Uh, sorry. Sorry to spoil it. <laughs> no, um, it's good. Yeah. We'll move oh, on. Before we go. Okay. Doctor Strange gets a name drop yeah. because um, I forget what, what's the guy's name Hoffman. Yeah, is the, the poor guy the, the sidekick that he just gets berated for through all of the movies. It's, it's the third one, right? Where he's like, but doesn't uh, where J. Jonah Jameson's like, does nobody care what I want? And he comes busting at the right moment. He's like, I do. He's, he's like, get out of here. Yeah, he's like, shut up, get out. <laughs> when he's talking to Brock and Parker. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he's like, we need a name for this guy. Uh, what, what's this new villain mad scientist goes rogue he's yeah. like he's got eight arms now like what about dr octopus they're like nope it's crap and then yeah. they go through like a ton of other awful names he's like wait a minute what about dr octopus and he's like, he's, hoffman starts to say i but didn't i he's like i like it he's like, he's like of course like you it. do yeah yeah the dr strange one's great because he's like oh what about dr strange and jay was like i like it but it's already taken yeah. <laughs> and you're like ah very, very, very nice. cool. I didn't know that they name dropped him. Yeah, Another, I didn't. I didn't catch that until a couple of years ago. Another yeah. reference to the New York stuff. Yeah. You know? So I like it. It almost makes me, yeah, wish that these had been connected. But <laughs> I like Tom yeah, big, Collins. Big, uh, big age gap and time gap there. For sure. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to Spider-Man Three. Uh, go ahead. Much more divisive. Yes. And watching it, I didn't hate it. No as much as I thought I, w- I was going to. I think mm-hmm. I saw it in theaters once and then I saw it again and I was like, oh, this just doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. But it, it struggles with three, four, five different plots mm-hmm. or ideas that by themselves could be really good. Yeah, The symbiote um, and the competition between him and Eddie Brock, that could have been a fantastic back and forth and made one great Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. The Sandman, him being the real killer of Peter Parker's uncle, uh, Ben, that could have been one amazing movie, mm-hmm. especially to you know tie up 
the first of what they thought would be, you know, the first half of a saga, right. if you will. Could have been fantastic. And then Harry Osborn being the hobgoblin or mm-hmm. the whatever the second generation right, of the goblin's yeah. called. That could have been another great movie. But instead, they try to jam them all in together and nothing gets its, you know, gets its time in the sun. And you're being pulled in five million different directions that it's almost like Sam Raimi just had Peter Parker start dancing in the streets randomly, <laughs> you know, as therapy you because might as well. y- you have nowhere else to go. Um, Topher Grace as Eddie Brock is good, not great, mm-hmm. but I like him as an actor. So I was happy to see him and Tobey Maguire on screen together. He's he liked the idea of him being ambitious, him getting screwed by Peter Parker, you know, mm-hmm. and that being his motivation for wanting to take him down once the, the symbiote the gets on him. And I can't say enough about how awesome it is to see Venom on screen. And though I don't like where this new Venom movie may be going, mm-hmm. I am so good to be there for it because watching a dark Spider-Man, you know, just destroy anything in its path is, it makes for some good, mm-hmm. it makes for some good film. Um, the Peter Parker marriage thing proposal, I I wasn't buying it, mm-hmm. especially since Peter doesn't seem like he has his life together at no. at, at all enough for that. Not that he needs to though, but it's just like there's no way she would right. say yes. It's to It's just your funny because like uh, Aunt May is like gives a whole spiel about you know how this is how Ben proposed to me and everything, mm-hmm. and you know you have to be have everything in your life sorted out before you can head into marriage she's like do you think you can do that and he's like yeah i think i can yeah. like, you really can't <laughs> no. so um so that part yeah i that kind of made me uh feel weird about it and then the final battle just sort of like happens yeah when we get when we find all, everything builds up to this peter leaves harry you know for dad basically practically yeah and then all of a sudden oh final battle time or before he gets to the, he goes to the, the, t- the bell tower and whatnot. Yeah. But then all of a sudden it's time for the final battle and you're like, I missed something here. There was almost no buildup except for Venom talking right. to Sandman. I think the only thing else in between there is the Peter's date with Gwen Stacy. Played by Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. Who I forgot was in this movie too. She's great. I, I just totally... Um, I'm blown away by the talent that there was in these three movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then at the end of the day, though, I'll stop my ranting. I would I can only give it like two and a half ticket stubs because there's so many directions mm-hmm. and the focus couldn't nail it on any one of them. Yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same with you on a lot of that. I feel like there's a lot of good elements in this movie and then there's also a lot of bad elements uh, where a lot of those storylines don't work as well. I... In just a single movie, I like Bryce Dallas Howard as Gwen Stacy more than I like Kirsten Dunst. Like as MJ, I buy her. Like I almost think they'd be better if they would have switched roles. Because uh, okay. I I like I I don't know I think Bryce Dallas Howard more fits that MJ like Broadway wannabe star um, model like type than Kirsten Dunst does. And I liked her chemistry with Tobey Maguire more than I liked Kirsten Dunst's relationship with. Toby Maguire. Okay. But um, anyways, I was just happy that she's in the movie. I like her 
in the role. She's, you know, she's super peppy and upbeat. And like every time she's on screen, I like it. Um, but her purpose in the movie is only to like bother MJ. Bother MJ. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't like that. Uh, I'm like all of her, like all of her stuff is just kind of, it's meaningless to the overarching narrative, but it's important for the subplot of the movie. So, uh, as far as all the different stories go, Sandman, I don't love. Uh, I think his story's just kind of bland and like, yep, you're an escaped convict that, you know, you want to get money to help heal your daughter who's sick, whatever. Sounds good. But then, like, the end, and like, blowing he, away in the he, wind. Yeah, he like has him confessing to like everything. And then he's just like, Peter just goes, I forgive you. And I'm like, yeah really Mm -hmm. this whole trilogy has been building up to finding like your whole motivation for you spider-man is to been stopping this from happening to other people and then you finally have the actual person who actually killed uncle ben whether he did on accident or not is beside the question he is there there are a ton of cops below he seems to have accepted his faults and everything you need to turn him over somehow i'd be like i forgive you but it doesn't Yo. absolve you from justice right like you st- I, like you still need to go away like you got you got your money you gave it to your family probably like just go turn yourself in and don't try to break out of jail or something like mm-hmm. whatever uh venom i think it the black spidey suit i love it i love the look of it but it's just so like weird the way like it weaves into every single plot line that it feels unnecessary uh, I mean, it's just like everything just doesn't work about it. And like Harry, I I do not get what they're doing with Harry in this movie at all. Like all of a sudden overnight, he has figured out how to turn himself into a hobgoblin, uh, build himself his own glider, right. make a sword. Like he's not, he's a dumb kid. Yeah. He could barely like pass like, you know, high school. And all of a sudden he's making these like super technologically advanced like machines in the back of his house with no help. Uh, I don't. I don't get how that's possible. I mean, sh- maybe the soldier serum had something to do with that, but doesn't but explain think, the mastering of the glider. Right, and like I think a lot of that stuff, like when they do like the intro shot to that room, like I feel like a lot of that stuff is built before he like goes and he gets all that stuff injected into him. So, how do you build a glider, a like a green electric sword thing? I don't. I don't know. Um, and like his whole thing of like, oh, I lost my memory, and then. Oh, I got it back all of a sudden just for this sake of the plot. And I'm, I'm going to go against you. I'm going to make MJ break up with you. Yeah. You're going to try to kill me. And then a day later, I'm going <laughs> to come back and help you feel to feel these people and then risk my life and die saving oh, that's you. Right. It's just like his whole arc is just rushed so much that it just doesn't feel earned in the slightest. Peter comes back after he leaves him for dead. And he's like, yeah. I need your help. Yeah. Then like he like, it's that whole like dramatic turn of, here's my here's my scarred face that you left me with and yeah. he's like you don't deserve my help mm-hmm. and then eventually obviously he comes back and it's the big moment where you see something hit salmon in the face and you're like oh what was that and it's beep 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 and then here comes harry to save the day oh and, or there's the dumb scene where he's 
at the coffee house telling Peter that <laughs> he's the one that MJ's in love with. I kind of like that scene actually, just cause like you do <laughs> Fra- like it. Franco just like, it's not a good scene, but I like the way Franco plays it. It just kind of, oh, so, no. so like over the top and he's like, he tries to be like that old, like eighties, like, like evil villain of like chewing his mustache like i've been behind this the whole time yeah. <laughs> like okay. you really have only known about this thing for like two days it would have okay. made it would have been better if he did have a handlebar mustache to twerk oh yeah um but one of the big problems i have with it outside of harry's plot is like peter thought this entire movie is just like an unlikable guy like he goes from the first movie where you're just rooting for peter peter's mm-hmm. a good guy to this movie now he's got his head full. He's like, oh, I'm New York's hero. Everybody loves me. I'm going to do everything wrong that I shouldn't be doing, even though everybody tells me not to do these things. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to make MJ mad. I'm going to like force her to like basically like I'm pushing her away without knowing. I'm going to turn emo all of a sudden once I get the symbiote. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to hit MJ, and then at the end of the movie, I'm still going to be like, oh, but I'm still kind of a good guy, right? Like, no, you're kind of a jerk and yeah. like a really despicable human being in this movie um so it made a really hard route for the villain and then the two final points i have are the two biggest problems with the movie the dance scene mm-hmm. the snapping the fingers and the point in the guns the, the, jazz. the, 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 the hollywood at the all the hot chicks walking down the sidewalk oh, uh it doesn't work and then the whole emo peter it just uh drives me insane like why would you think that's a good idea, Sam Raimi? Where did you come up with the idea of, you know what? After this fight sequence, he's going to walk down a uh, alleyway. There's going to be a perfect mirror just propped up on the side. He's going to turn. And he's going to take his nicely put up hair and push it over his forehead to make him look, you know, like a like a sad and you know confused child. Like, yeah. please stop. Uh, I like that's why I literally think it. I mean, I don't. I think Sam's probably still. You think he's fine. Oh, that. yeah. But I just think that w- this movie got away from him. Mm-hmm. Because how can you do two great well, he movies? Didn't, he didn't want to do Venom at all. That yeah. was all Sony. He was like, you need to do Venom. And he's like, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, exactly. So it almost makes me think, okay, he yeah. threw his hands up and then just let the wheel mm-hmm. you know, spin and spin right. until finally someone's like, somebody new on the on the on the production sets like what if he started to dance because that's that's not what peter parker does and then it just yeah because like all that stuff is directly because he was infected by the symbiote and Mm -hmm. so he becomes all upset and he embraces the anger and the black suit and everything and you're just like dude just stop i don't know how embracing aggressive tendencies turns you into someone that goes to jazz clubs makes you super confident and learns how to play the piano and uh, yeah like maybe like you know like aggressive confidence whatever but i don't know how it goes right into oh go to a jazz club that's where he would do yeah not just go beat people up on the streets or whatever the case may be right not that he isn't doing i'm gonna right i'm gonna go show mj what she's missing out on and (laughs) right (laughs) okay Uh, so yeah, I would give this uh two and a half tickets down as well because I think it's basically right in between being a good movie and a bad movie. It's just mm-hmm. there's a lot of good elements and portions, but then there's also a lot of bad elements in if the rest you, of it. If you remove those two things right there that you just talked about, you get a three, and we don't laugh at it. We just say, "Oh, it had too much going yeah, on." Yeah, it, it, it would have problems, but I I wouldn't have ever laughed at it or anything. So right, exactly. Um. That's so. That's all three of the Spider movies. Uh, one question I have for you. Uh, well, two. What's your favorite one? 
Oh, definitely the second. Yeah, so agreed. We can tell that by our ratings, obviously. Um, second thing, what is the most iconic scene from this trilogy? The most iconic scene? It's It has to be Spider-Man with the pizzas in the second one swinging through New York on delivery. Really? Yes. Because I see that gift everywhere. And maybe I just hang okay. out in circles where that's very popular. But him snatching the single piece of pizza from the guy on the balcony <laughs> after he moment, leaves yeah. it there that as soon as you say spider-man i think toby mcguire and then i think that scene hmm. pizza is my favorite food Pizza's maybe that's great. why but to me that is quintessential sam raimi spider-man uh outside of the crying meme of peter parker that i have seen on my phone <laughs> oh. uh just because there's he toby mcguire is a great actor but he is the he has a terrible cry face. It makes it perfect for memes. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Shot. Uh, I'm sorry for that, Toby, if you ever listen to this. But I have like three of your crying faces saved on my phone. Oh. Uh, anyways. Uh, I about that. <laughs> it's just so good. Yeah, uh, it is. So I think the most, like if, when I think of the original Sam Raimi Spider movies, the first thing I think of is the train scene uh, where you know, he is he is literally giving everything he has to hold that train from just going off the rails literally and crashing into the pavement that is below. Uh, I think that's one of the best things, especially because once everything comes after it where the New Yorkers save him, they mm-hmm. agree to save his identity and everything and not tell anybody even though you live in New York with another million or two. I don't know how big the population is in New York, but it's a lot of people. Uh and 13.5 i think okay well so yeah a lot more than one or two million people but like you're probably you would never know like nobody in that train knows who peter parker is so the point of keeping his identity a secret is unnecessary but i like the sentiment behind it um if there's a second place i'd give it to the upside down kiss from the first movie because that's just yeah when you think of mj and peter in the movies that's that's the scene that comes to mind. That's obviously why she was so mad at Peter. And the third movie is because of that kiss she had. He did he replicated it with Gwen. Uh, and then, but one of my favorite scenes is the Doc Ock operation scene uh, where they try to rip his tentacles off. Mm-hmm. Even though I hate the the nail part where the girl like scrapes across the floor and like there's like shreds of the floor coming up. I hate that. It's so like just violent and creepy that it's so unlike a lot of other superhero stuff that that scene always stands out to me and yeah i think the circular saw is going too mm-hmm. does that get that gets used by one yeah of the by one of the claws. arms yeah 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 Ooh, that's insane um okay so i probably should i probably have to agree with you that the most iconic war is the upside down kiss okay my favorite though remains is the pizza scene. is the pizza scene. i also love the elevator scene from the second one where he is in the elevator in his full spidey suit with that oh, stranger and yes. he's like he's like that's a he's like nice suit man he's like where'd you get he's like oh i made it yeah he's like, oh yeah oh it looks uh looks a little uncomfortable he's like yeah it's a little itchy mm-hmm. there's like a five second pause and he's like it also rides up in the crotch a little bit yeah. <laughs> the guy yes. just kind of looks at him like uh Too tmi yes, <laughs> like yeah. uh, okay weirdo mm-hmm. then he like hits another button because he wants to get off or yes okay it's great and this is I think this is why I th- it's the New York charm of this movie. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it so much. And the the amazing Spider-Man series honed in honed in on Peter Parker's personality and mm-hmm. things like that. But 
it never felt like this. It never yeah. felt like a hometown hero mm-hmm. type of a movie. And when you until t- like I don't know, I, I I know a lot of people don't like the end of the Amazing Spider-Man where the, the cranes, mm-hmm. but I like that moment where all the the crane workers like come together like you saved my kid, I'm going to get all my buddies to help you get across the entire city with our cranes. It's it's cheesy, I get it, but that's like the, I think the closest that series gets to having Spider-Man be like the legit New York guy. Yeah. And that has Dennis O'Leary, Dennis O'Leary as as uh, Captain Stacy. Yeah, the, a guy from Boston doing a New York thing. I think that's funny, but okay, yeah, great series by Sam Raimi. Yes, um, I think I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I mean Spider-Man Two, I think is still one of the best comic book movies made uh, to date, uh, and it's the first Spider-Man movie is no slouch either. Uh, Spider-Man Three is probably down at the bottom, near the bottom of the barrel, but. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Two out of three isn't bad. So, uh, and one thing I didn't know. Speaking back to Bruce Campbell, mm-hmm. Sam Raimi is doing Ash and the Evil Dead. So there's yeah. obviously he's, a relationship. Uh, he, there. He's producing it, right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, very cool stuff. Uh, nice to go back and revisit these uh, after all these years. I mean, I've seen them since, obviously, but it's been a while since I've watched, especially three. I think it's been a couple years. So uh, it was good to revisit these before Spider-Man Homecoming comes out, see the first Spider-Man movies that come out before we get our third interpretation of the character. Uh, so that's all my thoughts on the trilogy. you have any others? I have some social media stuff. Okay. Because I think we're getting, you know, some traction there okay. today with the Spider-Man question. What's the best? Uh, 79% on Twitter said that it was Spider-Man 2, 5% good. being... Spider-Man 3, and then 16 following suit with just the original Spider-Man. Whoever that one person was that voted for Spider-Man 3, please reach out to us and tell us why. Yes. <laughs> Let us know if you are actually in, like defending that movie or if uh, you're just trolling all of us. So, <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it's that final one, but we'll see. It most likely is. So, uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts on the Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of The Fate of the Furious. Uh, what are you expecting from this movie? Uh, I think I'm going to laugh my head off through mm-hmm. most of it, but I have to say, part of me wants to go in and like this. and wants to like treat it like a music video, if you will, <laughs> where you know they, they score their movie with uh, like, you know, upbeat. With ludicrous, yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, songs like that mm-hmm. where I'm thinking, you know what, if I'm watching it and it feels just like a hip hop song or something like that, you know, like with the bass going and all of that, I could dig it. I'm probably not going to say it's fine cinema, but if I have fun at the movie, I think that's why these movies are being made. Yeah. I'm going to have my bucket of popcorn. Uh, what about you? I know you are not, I don't think you're there with me right now, but I, there's a lot of mixed emotions okay. after watching a couple of the movies recently. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, I don't know what mindset I'm going to go in this movie with. I have not been impressed by the trailers. I think they look too ridiculous that it, it loses, I think, the charm that kind of is built into the Fast and Furious franchise. So I'm not sure if I'm going to go into it thinking, all right, well, this is just you know a fun popcorn movie that doesn't matter about the plot or anything or the acting or the characters. It's just, did I have a good time watching it? Or if I'm actually going to go in and actually judge this as like a legitimate movie, yeah. <laughs> which I feel like I should, because uh, I 
I mean, it's it's your opinion whether or not you think these uh, actors and these producers and everything are, you know, if they quote unquote know the type of movie they are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, they know that they're just you know an over the top action film franchise. I don't think they do. Oh. I think they're legitimately serious about everything they do. <laughs> uh, so if they want, if they are going to have that kind of direction, and Vin Diesel saying this film should be nominated for Best Picture, then uh, I feel like I have to go into it with that mindset of you're trying to make a legitimately great movie, and uh, if that's the mindset, then I'm expecting to not enjoy it very much. <laughs> yeah. Well, even though I. Let me correct it. Okay. I will enjoy the experience of watching it because I think it'll be so ridiculous. But I don't think I will come out of it saying that is a great movie. So we'll have two reviews to do next week. Is this an Academy Award winning movie? And is this a good Fast and Furious movie? Right. There was uh, when Fast, or when Furious 7 came out, uh, Jeff Dickey, or not Jeff Dickey. Uh, Justin Lin? No. Uh, the editor-in-chief at Mashable he did a he did two reviews for the movie he did a fast review and he did a furious review mm-hmm. the fast review he took it as i'm going to look at it as a over the top action flick and view it as that standards the furious review he treated it as an actual movie <laughs> and okay. like, he was like he was like these characters suck these plot holes don't make any sense uh like all this stuff so i think that's an interesting concept maybe we'll play with that next week uh but You'll have to tune in to see whether or not we like Fate of the Furious. Uh, during our time, we'll be sure to tell you your thoughts on everything we covered by Twins at Friends and Film. We receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, you can over iTunes gives a five-star review with comments. Sometimes what we do good, what we could do better on, uh, just to keep you coming back and listening. Uh, so that's it for this. Josh. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends Film Podcast. Be sure to tune next week for a review of The Fate of the Furious.